Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now, you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it is come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house, as he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. Morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here and you've chosen to be with us today. Um, just before we get started, I always want to celebrate, and we did a whole series on honor and honoring people, but um, about 13 months ago, uh, we prayed for a church member, um, Rusty, who was getting ready to go serve. He's in the Army, and he was getting ready to go serve Border Patrol. I mean, right there, Rio Grande, looking across and doing all of that. And um, Don and their members here, and they're known and loved, and we've been praying in staff that 
that Rusty would be able to come home. Uh, his deployment and return had been changed and this, that, and the other. There seems to be some kinks in the federal government from time to time. I don't know. It's shocking, right? And so we were praying that Rusty could um, come home, and uh, he got to come home early. And so, Rusty, could you just wave? I don't want to embarrass your brother, but he's back there. So can we show him some love? We're glad that you're home, Bubba. We're glad that you're home, man. And Dawn hasn't stopped smiling while she's been here, you know? So um, this is who we are. We're a church family, and so we celebrate. Hey, listen, we prayed for Rusty's protection. We prayed that God would watch over him, and um, he served our nation and did things while you and I were comfortable um, on the river and stuff like this, you know, and just enjoying all of this, and he sacrificed that. But we prayed, and God answered that, and he heard those prayers. And so we always, always want to celebrate that. Well, hey, we are trekking along in this series, and the list is getting long. And if you're here, you can go to our website and catch up. What we are doing in John chapter 13 through 17, Jesus is giving um, the upper room discourse. He's getting ready to be crucified, to go away, and he is passing off his ministry to the disciples. It is go time. No more um, apprenticeship or any of that. The ball is in their court. And what's significant is to see these 12 men, this band of misfits, if you will, even in the text, if you heard it, they're like, what is he saying, right? And then they're like, oh, we get it. And Jesus is like, you just now? Yeah, I mean, these guys are constantly dropping the ball, but they were so faithful in following Jesus. They weren't a part of the crowds. They, weren't, they were the committed. And so the question that we have been asking is, what are the marks of an upper room disciple? Not a casual fan, not just an attender, not just a part of the crowd when Jesus is doing a miracle, when things are easy or this, that, and the other. But what does it look like for my whole life to center around following the God-man Jesus Christ? And as you can see, we've just been walking through and pulling out these marks. And, and last week we paused and reflected, and I think it's really important for us to know this. Because for, for some of you, you type A people, you look at that list, and at first you're really excited. You're like, it's a list. This is great. But very quickly, um, sorrow and guilt can sort of set in because you're like, hey, listen, if that's supposed to be a reflection of like what I'm supposed to do every week, Bubba, I haven't made it past number one, okay? Like this is difficult and I just want to remind us, this is not a list to do every day. This list is a reminder of who we are in Jesus this is not burdensome, but rather it's a blessing that there's a different way in which we live. And this week, as you see, we have landed on happy in suffering. And um, I ran across a very interesting person. Um, I, I just think human beings are so fascinating this day and age and just to see what a human being can accomplish. But his name is Colin O'Brady. And, and maybe you know Colin. Colin is an endurance athlete. And um, Colin holds five world records. But by far the one that many people think will never be defeated is Colin O'Brady by himself walked across 
Antarctica. I mean, the North Pole. This dude did it. Here's the map. New York Times did an article. This guy started, completed, walked across Antarctica, not just walking across it, but he was also pulling a 300-pound sled. And sometimes he would have to stop, set up his tent, set up the phone and the GoPro to get the footage and all of this. Did you know that, by the way, Antarctica is the largest desert? Um, in the world. Just because there's snow, um, it is dry, it is brutal, and the conditions are unbearable. There was every single day where Colin could not see his hand in front of his face due to the brightness of the snow or a snowstorm and all of this. What was interesting is packing the supplies. Like, like, how much food do I take? Um, he lost almost 50 pounds while he did it. And by the way, he did it in 53 days. He walked. And the last push, he did a complete 30-plus hour push where he did not stop walking. He was like, I am sick and tired of setting up this tent. Um, this is like, I am beyond this now. And for 30 hours, this guy pushed and he walked. In the podcast that I was listening to, Colin said these words. He said, I feel like a professional sufferer. The walk across Antarctica was so grueling but on the inside, I was so happy because I love doing this. What was crazy is Colin had his blood type tested, all of this stuff, and he had for meals these little bars that he would eat that were tailored to his blood type. They were filled with calories and all of that stuff for him to uh, able to make the walk across and to be able to pull the sled. But when I heard his quote, my ears perked up. Number one, he said, I'm a professional sufferer. I thought, wow, when it comes to endurance athletes and the battle of the mind and all of that. But then to think about his external conditions were the worst. I mean, literally, a human being has a limited amount of time that you can live in an environment like that. But he said his external conditions were so brutal, but on the inside, he was like a little boy. He was so excited to keep going. And today in these verses, that's exactly what Jesus says to the disciples. You see, in verse 33, he really sums up the entire thing. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. That's a fact. Your external circumstances will be brutal. That word tribulation is, is really interesting for the two of you that care. It's thispastus, right? Try to say that five times fast. Um, this is what it looks like in the original, but it means trouble, distress, oppression, tribulation. But really, when you get down to the root of the word, it means pressure. It means pressure. 
And, and even when you read these verses, Jesus, the greatest communicator that ever lived, he's sort of summarizing everything now. I mean, all the specific stuff he's talked about. He's done the foot washing. He's talked about abide. He's done all of these things. Judas is leaving. He's talked about that. And now, just like a good communicator, he's sort of wrapping all of this up. And he's saying, listen, there's one thing that I can prepare you guys for. And that when I leave, it's going to get brutal. That if I can promise you anything, um, I think Colin O'Brady said it best, Christians are professional sufferers. Because we know this whole thing's broken. It's not working the way that it should. And our external circumstances... Um, the holidays are quickly approaching. And listen, I've been in the game long enough to know that sadly there's more heartache than there is joy. There's a chair that doesn't have someone in it or it brings that broken family back together for just a little bit. And I pray, dear God, our crazy uncle doesn't do whatever. And it's gonna get rough. And listen, the pressure is turning up. Um. Have you felt the pressure? Do you feel the pressure? So, so here's, here's really the, the question. How do I persevere under the pressure, man? You know, whenever we were singing, I surrender all, I, I felt like just the spirit of the Lord say, um, that's what suffering does, Jason. Suffering makes you surrender. Or you can try to hold on to it. You can try to hold on to the money, the identity. You can try and not tap out, man, right? Um, you know, you see the UFC fights and some of these guys wear shirts that say never tap. But if you actually talk to a UFC fighter, they say that's the dumbest thing that you could ever do, right? You can end your career by just going, at least I didn't tap and your arms just dangling beside you and end your career, right? When the suffering comes... It reveals our priorities and all of that. And some of us fight. We've worked so hard. We've arranged our life, the comfort, the, all of this. And it's exhausting. So how do we persevere? Well, um, th this is just the way my mind works. But how Colin O'Brady had to intake with those little bars, right? He, he had to eat some stuff to get the calories up in order to keep on going every single day. In the context of these verses, it's a lot of verses. And so how do we break it down? Well, I think there's three words in these sections of verses that are sort of like our protein bars, that we've got to be taking these things in in order to keep persevering and in order to keep going. And you could break the text down like this. In verses 16 through 24, Jesus talks about joy. He says the word joy over and over and over again. And then next, he says love. He talks about the word love in the context. And then the last thing that Jesus talks about is peace. Listen to me. In the Christian life, if you want to keep going, when the pressure is turned up, when the suffering and the hardship is on, and it is difficult, these three words you have to be taking in. 
You have to know what joy is. You have to know what love is. And you have to know what true peace really is. So let's take them one at a time. The first one is this, joy. Look at what he says there in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Then verse 21, for the joy that the human being has been born. Verse 22, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take the joy from you. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be. Is there joy? Is Jesus talking about joy, right? The butter slid off my biscuit a long time ago, but I think he's trying to teach us about some joy, right? But he uses a really, really interesting um, analogy here, right? He talked about a little while, you'll see me, this, that, and the other. But when it comes to the word joy, I think definitions are, are really helpful. And, and this is the way that we've always defined joy here at Westside, and it's this. Joy is the supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. Listen, joy is supernatural. You're not going to go to Menards and pick out the new handles and then the little barn chandelier that's on HDTV and, ah, oh, I got it done right, and then get you some joy as well. It's not for sale there. Joy is supernatural. Listen, it's so difficult sometimes, right? Because, like, we get bombarded every second of every day outside of here and the world is trying to sell you a bill of goods. And I've got just a limited amount of time each week to remind you, that's stupid, don't do that. This is the way, right? That's like every sermon, okay? It's Jesus, right? And everything that the world tells you, I mean, from Matthew McConaughey driving in that Lincoln, baby, right? That's joy right there or some perfume or, and then the holidays are coming and it's like, oh my goodness, your kids need this. And then they're on YouTube and they all want to be streamers now, right? It's like, oh man, I got, it's joy, right? It's joy. But the reality is, is joy is supernatural. And the way you get that joy is by following Jesus. That's what joy truly is. And what's interesting is Jesus talks like verse 17. He says a little, or verse 16, a little while you'll see me no longer. And then a little while you will see me. His disciples, verse 17, this is great, look at this. Some of his disciples said to one another, what in the world is this dude saying? Everything's always like a pair, everything's like, and I almost pick up a little bit of sarcasm. What is this that he says to us? A little while you'll see me, and then a little while you won't, because I'm going to the Father, Ooh, right? I mean, the disciples are like, goodness gracious, Jesus, we get it. You're this rabbi, and everything's a lesson with you, right? The whole foot washing, like, we get all of that. And then Jesus says, verse 18, so they were saying, what does this mean? And then they said, we have no idea what you're talking about, right? Hey, 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 listen, you ever read your Bible um, and then closed it and started the day? And as you go to prepare for the day, you went, I have no idea what I just read, right? I have no idea what I just read, right? Hey, congratulations, you're in good company, okay? So did the disciples. And so then Jesus says this, verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, that was the nugget for me this week. Look how gentle he is. 
He knew that they wanted to ask. So Jesus did not passive aggressively wait off to the side, fold his arms and just look around, right? He knew. And then he said to them, he initiates it. He's so gentle. And then he said to them, is this what you're asking a little while? Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. Just draw a little cross right next to verse 21 in the margin of your Bible, because that's what he's talking about. You could do a little cross with an arrow pointing up. Jesus is saying, I'm about to go die. And you guys are going to think, great, we knew it. We knew following this homeless guy was not going to end well, okay? Now he's bloody and beaten on that cross, and it's over. But then Jesus is saying the world will rejoice because they think that they've won. But I'm going to resurrect. And then your sorrow turns to joy. And then just like a masterful teacher, look at verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. And all the ladies said, (laughs) right? Because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish. That's the number one thing women are like. I mean, I love Jesus, but I don't know on that one, okay? Right? I don't remember the pain anymore. (laughs) Like, oh, I remember it, right? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Interesting. Jesus says human being. I could... And it's a baby. I could go a direction, but okay, we'll see, right? That a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. Here's what's interesting. Jesus, masterful teacher, uses the analogy of a woman giving birth. And the pain and the anguish and the suffering and all. And like every man in that moment is like, okay, what do I do here? Am I like a coach? Am I like, yeah, you know, you got this, babe. You're doing it. Like I was trying to coach Courtney and she was like, your breath stinks. Get out of my face, right? It was, I mean, it's just like, so what do you do in that moment? Always think of Rocky. Like, yo, Adrian, I mean, you did all the work. You did real good, right? You did real good, right? But then he says the moment that baby's born, it's here. It's here. Here's what Jesus is saying. Please don't miss this. The very thing that was causing so much pain and so much suffering through perseverance causes the joy. So what if, what if what you're calling an obstacle to your joy God actually sees as an opportunity for your joy. But here's the key. You can't quit. You can't bail. You have to persevere and see it through because joy is on the other side of the suffering. That's what's so beautiful about a lifelong tenure at a church or relationships or any of those things. It's putting in the work, man. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greenest where you water it. 
That's where the joy is, is when you persevere and when you see it through. So really quickly, Jesus tells us three things about the joy. It's right there in the text. I need to fly through them because we've got some other stuff to look at. But Jesus tells us three things, three things about joy with Jesus. The first one, joy with Jesus is certain. Look at what he says in verse 20. But your sorrow will turn to joy. You can underline that word, will, circle it, do whatever you need to do. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. Anytime you see God say will or shall in the Bible, you bank your life on that because God has just made a promise to you. And that promise doesn't depend on you, but that promise depends on the faithfulness of God. And hey, by the way, God is batting a thousand on all of his promises. It will turn to joy. Listen, here's your only job. This is it, guys. It's not more complicated than this. Stay the course. Oh, please stay the course. It's not, it's not going and getting on Facebook and looking up the person that you went to high school with and then now I wonder what our life, oh gosh, guys, it all happens when we click the blinker on and we exit off the highway of God's will and we think, I think there's a shortcut over here. No, there's not a shortcut. That is death and destruction and despair. All God is saying is stay the course. It will turn to joy. And for some of you right now, you are in a season. It can be relational. It can be physical, whatever. The pr- it's turned up, man. And listen, your word is this. Suffering is always for a season. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. And what's interesting is he doesn't tell us what it is, which tells me this. Because I think if, if Paul would have said what it was, we would have said, well, I don't have that. I have this. Paul didn't talk about mine. He talked about his. And so now you have to begrudgingly go, well, dang it. I guess I just, you know, he didn't say what it was. So I, I can apply that to my life. And Paul said he prayed and asked three times. The word pray there is the same word for scream, to yell at God. Please take this from me. Please take this from me. Please take, and God said, no. My power is made perfect in weakness. So my word to you, if you're in the season, is that suffering is always for a season. It has a beginning and it has an end. But please listen to me. Don't try the shortcut. Joy is certain. Joy with Jesus is secure. Look at what he says there in verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take my joy from you. No one will take my joy from you. That it is secure. Listen, if you put your joy in anything else, your job, your relationship, your kids, Jonathan Edwards, the famous revivalist preacher said, the moment we idolize is the same moment that we will demonize. The moment we lift up an idol in our life and say all of my joy and all of my satisfaction can come from that and then it doesn't give us that joy, we demonize it and tear it down. The only way your joy is secure is in Jesus. And then lastly, this, I love this. Joy with Jesus is full. I mean, he says it right there in verse 24. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
Like, do you know the kind of joy that the world offers you? The kind of joy the world offers you is a potato chip bag joy. This is real deep theology here, guys, okay? So you buy a potato chip bag, which, by the way, have you seen the price of them lately? Good Lord, right? And then you, you, you see this puffy bag there, and you're like, this is great, and you open it. There's not a quarter of chips in that bag. None at all. I mean, at all. And you're like, uh, listen, if you find joy anywhere other than Jesus, that's what you'll get. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every single time. The only way our joy is full is when it's found in Jesus. How do we persevere? How do we keep going? How are we happy in suffering? Joy. It's supernatural. The second word is this, love. Love. Look at what he says starting in verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Ooh, that's so good. And then he says this, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've come from God. Jesus is teaching some serious theology here. You know, I think a lot of times we think that, maybe it's just me, maybe you're holier than me, but sometimes I think that God saved me, but he doesn't really like me. You know, it was kind of like I did the whole salvation for the world type of thing. And yeah, that happened. But now he's like super disappointed. But the radicalness of God's grace is not that he chose you while you were in active rebellion against him. He chose you knowing that after he chose you, you would choose other things besides him. And here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not some like negotiator. God the Father's not super mad at you. And every day I have to go to God the Father and say, um, well, you know, Bill over here is asking for this. And I know Bill's been dropping the ball. And I know your, your wrath is ready for Bill. But if you could just subside from that wrath for a little bit and give Bill. Jesus is saying, that's not what it's like. And then he says this, for God the Father loves you. Yeah, you, you didn't read it at first, and I didn't either. This is one you got to sit with. For God the Father loves you. I don't think you're still understanding. You. The you that if we hooked your mind up to the projector and thumbed through some thoughts, you. God loves you. And it's not some legal negotiation. I love what one commentator, Frederick Buhner, says. He says this, Sometimes our thoughtful doctrines of Christ's sacrificial, reconciling, and interceding work for us towards the Father can give us the mistaken impression that Jesus loves us more than God the Father does. And Jesus here is correcting that. He's saying this is not some legal negotiation. The love flows through the Father to you. Listen, this is a fundamental doctrine that I will say until there is breath in my lungs. We do not achieve God's love. We receive it. And here's what's so dangerous about that sentence. 
is that sentence doesn't hit so much. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're peeking over the fence. This sentence is for Christ's followers. Because what Spurgeon said is, we all start out like the prodigal son, but give it enough time and you become the elder brother. And what did the elder brother do? When the prodigal returned, the elder brother said, what are you throwing a party for him for? He squandered all of his wealth. That guy, that guy is a lost cause. I've lived under your house every day, and I've obeyed everything, and I've done this, and wah, 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 and wah, 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 and you've never done this for me. Do you know what the elder brother was doing? He was holding up his religious resume. And he was saying this, God, you owe me. You owe me. Because I did this, and I said this, and I read my Bible, and I tithed, and then I did this. Listen, we never, it starts with grace, it sustains with grace, and it ends with grace. The same love that found you broken and in despair and nothing to offer is the same love that God has for you now. There's a thing that we do um, when I lay the kids down at night and we pray together and then just like I did with Piper this week and, and I say, hey, hey, look into my eyes. Are you looking at me? And they say, yes, I'm looking at you. And I say, you know, your daddy loves you. And they say, yeah, my daddy loves me. And then I say this, I say, you know that there's nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you more or love you less. And this week Piper said, what's that you mean? What does that even mean? And I said, well, baby, it means that you can't do anything bad that's going to make me take my love away from you. And she said, ever? And I was like, she's about to confess something she just did, you know? <laughs> I don't know. And I said, ever, ever. And she just said, wow, cool, cool. And when I shut the door, I just thought, You love me more than that. You love me more than I love that little girl. And, and I got to remind myself all the time, we're not achieving anything here. The Christian life is one on our knees as beggars with our hands out, just simply receiving. It's joy. It's love. And then the last one is this. It's peace. Peace. It's peace. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed, and it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. And then he says this, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that, here it is, in me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Do you see what he's doing? In me, you have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. Jesus is using a grammatical trick. He's saying, in me, life is like this. In the world, life is like this. And he offers and says, peace. You know what's interesting? Jesus is talking to his disciples and they live in a town that's under Roman governance. That's why it's Julius Caesar was doing the census. We're getting ready to celebrate that at Christmas. But, but here's what's interesting. 
is that historically Rome ruled most of the known world. And there was a phrase that they used. It was called Paxa Romana, which means the peace of Rome. And by the way, Caesar declared himself to be Lord and that he was a Lord and on the gold coins, he was Caesar is Lord and he brings a euangelion, a good news gospel. Do you see it now? And they ruled almost the known world. And what Jesus is saying is the greatest empire the world has ever seen. They themselves can't attain lasting peace. But in me, you have peace. So, two quick things about peace, and then we're done. The first one is this. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Listen, peace is not a place. Peace is not a promotion. Peace is not found in this type of pleasure that's not peace. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus. And so listen, I know what goes on in our hearts and in our minds. And oftentimes we think a sentence like this, that when I get blank, then I will have peace. And can I let you in on something? Whatever you put in that blank is the God in which you are serving. And that's why it's so exhausting. Because an idol demands what it never gives, which is everything. And so when, when, I, when we get the house, when I get retirement, when I get this family issue resolved, when I get blank, then I'll get blank. And it doesn't work that way. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus. And this next one might be the most important of them all. Peace is not the absence of circumstances, but the presence of God amidst the circumstances. That's huge. Jesus is saying the peace is in me, but you're going to be in the world. So just like Colin O'Brady, your external circumstances are brutal, but on the inside, you can really have peace and tranquility. Um. There's a famous Christian painter by the name of Jake Dawson. Not to be confused with Jack, who went down with the Titanic, right? Um, Jake is a very famous Christian uh, painter. And at a conference, they sort of did like a little exhibition, and they threw out some topics to paint on. And they said, paint on the topic of peace. And so everyone sort of began painting and most everybody painted like a little brook and, you know, a little meadow with some trees and all of this sort of fluffy, fluffy stuff. And when they came to Jake's painting, he painted this. And it's a raging waterfall with a storm and lightning and bare branches. <laughs> and quite honestly, it would be the opposite of peace and this is actually now one of his most famous paintings, and you may have seen it hung up in churches across the country. But the key is, is to look closer, because underneath the waterfall, there's a dove sitting in a nest. And the dove has the water rushing in all around it, the thunder, the lightning, and everything. And when they came to Jake, they said, and they didn't see the dove right away, they said, why would you paint this as peace? 
And he said, because I spent so much of my life trying to control my circumstances. And that was the opposite of peace. Until I realized that true peace is on the inside. Even when everything else is chaos on the outside. What if this is your picture of the holidays or Thanksgiving or, or, or whatever is coming? That it can be chaotic and it can be nuts around you. But the reality is, is that this is what Jesus promises you. And for many of us, we have to correct our understanding of what Jesus promised. Jesus never promised external circumstances, external circumstances to be easy. He said they would be difficult. Every person in the upper room besides one was murdered for their faith. But Jesus says it's not the absence of circumstances. It's my presence with you amidst the circumstances. So in closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, listen, upper room disciples are happy in suffering. I believe, I firmly believe this, that the greatest mark that Christians can have to a dying, unbelieving world is the joy that we possess. That when the world has promised and said everything and everything is going to chaos, I believe that your non-believing friends and family members, the thing that they are looking at is they are looking at your external circumstances and how you're responding and the joy that comes from within inside. And that's the most attractive quality. And they'll say, what do you have? What do you have? So just two application questions. The first one is this. Where have you been trying to get joy, love, and peace? Where have you been pursuing these things? And could you just be honest and go, man, it's been exhausting. Trying to control the circumstances and bring it all together. The last question is this. What if your problem is actually a possibility in disguise? Just like the analogy of the suffering but the same thing that caused the suffering actually caused the joy. What if you removed your hand from trying to control the external circumstances and realized the only thing that I have control over and input on is my relationship with the Lord? So rather than trying to control everything, how about I just try to position where I know the Lord said that he would bless and sustain me. And how do I persevere under the pressure? You gotta take in the calories. And the calories are joy, love, and peace. Father God, we come to you today so grateful that, that you knew what was coming. You knew the hardship, the trial. God, I just pray today that we would know that we would know everything within us, that the joy, that the love, and that the peace is on the other side of the suffering. We do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Faith in knowing that you will give us joy, that you do love us now, and that we can have peace amidst the chaos. So God, I pray for the weary soul for the shoulders that are heavy laden and for the hands that are calloused. 
the circumstances are so difficult. And I pray today that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that there would be a breath of fresh air and that they would not give up, but that they would know that all of these things are in the person of Jesus Christ. God, with the holidays and the things that are coming up closely, we need this word. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Comfort those who are afflicted in here today. And God, I pray that you would afflict those who are comfortable where we've been pursuing these things in everyone and everywhere besides you, Jesus. God, we pray and we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ.